everybody. It's the MPG Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Josh Mosler. I got Aaron Miller from the Miller Holding Company. Miller Real Estate Holding Company. Miller Real Estate Holding Company. We Companies. can talk about that. Later. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this thanks for awesome. coming on. We're, uh, can't see it, but we're drinking Rally Point. Rally Point. Um, service Brewing. Good buddy of mine, Kevin Ryan. He's the owner over there. And um, since it's Veterans Day, why not uh, tip a couple beers to him? What's the, so are they, um, he's veteran? He's a veteran. Um, he's a couple years in front of me at West Point. Okay. Um, started the business five to seven years ago. Okay. Um, it's done well. Have you been there? No, never. Really? You no. got to go. You got to go. That's real um, good. Yeah, it's, it's good beer. They treat you great. Um, it, it's a hangout spot for veterans. You're, you're going to run into a bunch of veterans there, which is nice. Um, veterans love spending time with veterans, so... Uh, I mean, the VFW did well for a long, long time. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe it's like a cool VFW. You know, Um, it's really interesting. Like, uh, I know this is not like about beer or whatever, but not to get too far off topic, but like the can is like you can see the detail in the can even. Like it's comfortable to hold in your hand because like the texture on it, like it's not, you know. Yep. It's pretty crazy. And they can their own there now. Oh, they can uh, right there at Spot? which is... That was kind of like a big purchase for him. I remember he was real happy when he bought his canning machine. I'm sure it's not so, cheap. Not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shout out. It's but, good uh, beer. Yeah. Yeah. Good choice. Thanks for doing it, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for choosing it. Yeah. So um, I guess we'll just start with the classic question. Um, okay. You turn 18. <laughs> <laughs> What's your trajectory from then till right now? Okay. Uh, wow. That's a good question. Um, 18. So senior in high school. Yep. Uh probably should give you a couple kind of like uh tidbits about my high school days um just because i grew up in the country up in upstate new york small little town centralized school district um so same building for 13 years k through 12 uh graduating class of about 20 people uh bus picks you up on the front yard every every day same bus driver for 13 years (laughs) um my dad was a financial advisor. My mom was a beautician. Uh, my uncle ran a farm up the street. Uh, so my first job was working for my uncle. Uh, so just grew up in a real small environment. Like college was, it, it was it was a bit of an unknown because a lot of kids in my class or a lot of kids before me didn't even go to college. Um, which is one reason why I think I joined the army. I was enlisted for a, a year or two um, out of high school. So I think that's, that's kind of, you know, where you grow up, grow up is kind of what forms you as a person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, it's important to note that. And then there's a couple like big events that happen um, during high school that kind of grows you as a person and kind of gets you curious about like what your life is going to be like. Um, so my parents, uh, I was big into music. Uh, I was in the choir. I was in the band. Um, my parents, and, you know, they did okay, but we weren't rich. Um, my parents paid to uh, send me over to Europe for literally like three, four weeks. Um, this would have been the summer after my sophomore year in high school. So literally, I'm spending three weeks on a bus traveling all over Europe, kids from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Um, just huge life event for me that kind of like just 
got me just curious about the world and other people. And um, I remember the one guy was hanging out, like he said he wanted to be a lawyer. I was like, whoa, like I'm hanging out with a guy that wants to be a lawyer, you know? Like, um, so just looking back at my life, like those events just really kind of grow you um, and just uh, build you and make you curious about life in general. Um, the other one is, uh, because we didn't travel internationally as a family, we just, when we did travel, um, usually we'd go to the beach or to the mountains. Um, we never did go overseas. We got into exchanging, ho- uh, hosting exchange students. Okay. International exchange students. Um, which just, again, was like, opened up my eyes, like to the world. Right. Um, people from France. Finland, Sweden, uh, guys that I've stayed in touch with, like since then I've gone and visited them. Um, but I, I just wanted to bring up those experience cause they, I think they really like just created this huge foundation of who I am today going way back. Um, and then the third one was, uh, and it's a little bit real estate related, which I didn't even realize, but, um, my dad had a friend um that basically ran a uh insurance uh inspection company so you know like if you get insurance from state state farm somebody like takes pictures of the house measures it and then they might say you got to fix the deck you got to put a railing up yeah like before they'll insure it or whatever yeah yeah um so uh I can't believe it, but yeah, after my junior year in high school, my dad's friend gave me one of those jobs, Dang. which I thought like 16, 17 years old, that's a huge responsibility. I thought <laughs> yeah, um, and I was making pretty good money. <laughs> um, so literally driving all over upstate New York, uh, that's before GPS days, before internet days and, uh, Jumping out, taking pictures of the house, measure the house, um, obviously meeting the people that live there. Um, you know, again, it's just things that like kind of create who you are as a person, like just uh, the maturity process, the just dealing with other people. Um, I All those things, I just don't think I'd be where I am today without those little experiences. It's you interesting know. as you get older um, and you start to look back at stuff like yeah, that, right? Because yeah, like, yeah, when yeah. you're going through it, it obviously feels inconsequential, I would say. I mean, I don't know about Europe. Right. But no, I just thought, I thought I was lucky on, on all, all of those, um, but uh, d- definitely didn't have the forethought of kind of how it would create who I am, which right. I, I really do think those experiences have done that. So anyway, um, I think right out of high school, I could have went to college to be straight up with you. I, I really didn't even like understand the whole application process, you know, <laughs> like how do you apply to college? And, um, I started thinking about the military. Um, I had some teachers that thought I'd be great in the military. So, uh, no kidding. Just went down to the recruiter's office and signed Sign the line up. and, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that made my senior year real easy. Everybody else was uh, applying to college and worried about what are they going to do. Well, I'm going in the Army. Right. Um, so uh, went off to basic training and, uh, again, um, just had another one of those just amazing experiences. Like, I would not be here today without this experience. Um, 
So the company commander, while I'm at basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, literally pulls me out of the ranks. And you kind of know, like, military rank and structure. Yeah. Like, the company commander's the guy that's... Like, he's back in the office at the desk. Yeah. Like, why is he asking for Private Miller, you know? Um, I did okay on the ASVAB, which is the military, uh, you know, test. Yeah. Um, you you might have took it in high school. I think a lot of a lot of schools require that you take the ASVAB. Yeah, I, ended, I did take it. Yeah. Um, so he pulled me out, and he's like, you had a great ASVAB. Um, West Point has a preparatory school. Um, that's It's a full-year school. Um, and if you do, if you can get into the preparatory school and you, you might get accepted and you go to West Point, do you have any interest in that? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I, I grew up an hour and a half from West Point. I knew about West Point. And I'm again, I thought there is 0% chance I'm going to West Point. Right. Um, so he helped me with the application to the prep school company commander at basic training, like helps you help me. So now think about it. Everybody has, everybody's going off to do training, and they're like, ah, Private Miller, go see the company commander again. Like, <laughs> Did you, um, do you know that guy still? I, I would love to look him up. I feel like I have to look him up. Yeah, I feel like, like that's I, like I don't a, remember his name. I, I was 18 years old. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, because, like, um, I mean, that's not normal, right, from what I understand, for them guys to, like, help like that. I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I've tried to help people, you know, going, going through life. I try to help people, but that yeah. was just, I would not be here today. I know for a fact I wouldn't be here today if that experience did not happen to me. So That's lo and crazy. behold, the company commander, don't remember his name, helps me fill out this whole application at the prep school. Um, and then when you're done with basic training, you go to a, kind of your advanced training, which is where you learn your job. Yeah. And uh, it's not like I forgot about it, but one day the drill sergeant called Private Miller in the office. And they're like, I just got this letter. You got orders to go to the prep school. And I'm like, unbelievable. Like, my life is just, you know, because I was going to be a broadcast journalist in the Army. Okay. Like, yeah, really? I was going to go to Korea. I was, it was all set up. What? You know? So now instead of going to Korea, I'm going to New Jersey to West Point Prep School. Yeah. Um, so that was a year. Uh, so I did the year at the prep school and then four years at West Point and um, really didn't think anything about real estate. Uh, the whole time I was either at prep school or West Point. West Point is what it is. It's a military school. What's it like? Like, uh, I don't um, know how many. I mean, I know a lot of people know what West Point is. It's long days. I, I really was the type of person that I kind of needed West Point. Yeah. I, that's probably why I joined the Army, actually. Um, I need structure. I do well with structure. Um, it's not like I'm I'm not a self-starter. I am, I am a self-starter. But, uh, you know, when you're waking up at 6 in the morning and it's a collegial environment and you're with people all day long and you're required to do your homework. Um, I think a guy like me, I'm just going to do better. Uh, when I'm doing it on my own, I'm probably sleeping in, waking up late, might be going out, having some beers, might not be doing my homework, (laughs) you know? Um, so West point was great for me. still to this day. Most of my friends are West pointers. Uh, not 
Well, I probably shouldn't say it that way. My best friends are West Pointers. Right. Um, the guys that, uh, simple phone call, boom. I mean, uh, people you trust. Right. For advice, for everything, for friendship. So, uh, graduated West Point. Um, my job in the Army, I was a signal officer. Uh, I'll go into that a little bit. But uh, I had a buddy, John Lutwack. Um, we were both going off to signal school. That was in Augusta, Georgia. Okay. Um, by that time, I knew I was going to Savannah, Fort Stewart. Okay. Uh, so, figure I would have been 21, an old 21 probably at that point, 22. Um and John's mom, I'll never forget this, but uh, she came to visit us in Augusta. And she was a real estate agent in Colorado. Okay. And she basically said, when you get to your first duty station, you need to buy a house. And when you get to your first duty station, you need to use your VA loan. You know. Yeah. I, I didn't know advice. about either one of those things. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll go do that. You yeah. know. Um so that's what I did. I got stationed here in Savannah, and uh, I would have been probably 22 when I first moved here. And I went right out and uh, found a real estate agent through USAA, like they had this referral program. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know how to find a real estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we drove around, and I remember she kept trying to get me to, to live in Georgetown. <laughs> we kept going to Georgetown, and I'm like, I just wasn't feeling it. Right. You know? Um, and ultimately, they had these magazines. I don't even know if they still print them with all the real estate. I think they do. I never pick them up anymore. Like all the listings? Yeah. Okay. But when I was young, I used to pick them up every Saturday. Yeah. You know? And I would go to Clary's or whatever, look through them. And then I found this house. It was $70,000 um, on 37th Street. And it was a two-unit. And, and I remember reading in there, it said that the upstairs tenant was paying 350 a month. And, and I did the math. I'm like, my mortgage was like 380 or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so I told my agent, that's the house I want to buy. You know, the tenant upstairs is basically going to pay my mortgage. Right. House and, hacking. Uh, yeah. But before that term was like around. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so that was that, um, bought that house and, uh, basically, um, it was kind of in the hood. Where it, was it? It was 37th and Martin Luther King. Uh, <laughs> back in the day. So really what happened there was I found out that the downstairs I could rent for like five fifty. Yeah. So I, I ended up renting the downstairs <laughs> and I moved out and I ended up living right there on Forsyth Park. Um, Oh, you bought a house on Forsyth Park next? No, I ended up renting there. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So that, that kind of was like my introduction to real estate was literally Augusta, Georgia. My buddy, his mom was a real estate agent. I didn't know what the VA loan was. Um, Another one of those moments. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first one. And then um, Fort Stewart was very busy for five years. I was there from 99 to 04. Okay. Uh so basically I went off to Bosnia for a year. That would have been 2000. And I got back literally one week before nine 11. Um, Whoa. yeah. So the first property I bought was 99. That was that VA duplex. And then, um, the second property I bought right before, well, no, no, no. 
No, that's not true. The property I'm going to talk about, I bought right before I went to Kuwait. So I went to Bosnia. Um, I was there for a year. That was a great experience. Um, just a military deployment. Um, I had my platoon leader time there. Uh, just a great time to just... I mean, when you're living with your soldiers, you really get to know them. Right. You know, like... Is Bosnia, like, a hard place to be stationed, or was it, like, not um, that bad? It wasn't that bad. It was... Uh, the issues that I have with Bosnia was... And we had this saying in the Army. It's called General's Report Card. You yeah. know, like, General's Report Card. Like, a general did a great job if nobody dies. A general did a great job if there are no DWIs. A general, okay, yeah. you know... So, in my opinion, because of that, um, we were kind of, like, stuck on the base in Bosnia, which I didn't like that. Um, the Bosnian people were great people. The restaurants were great. I would have preferred to have gotten out more. Um, but, but it was still a great opportunity. I um, right. really enjoyed it. Uh, again, great buddies over there, buddies that I still today stay in touch with. Um, when you're on a deployment like that, you really get to know the people you're living with. Um, and you have an opportunity to really help soldiers. Uh, when, you're, when you're at Fort Stewart, it's, I'm not going to say it's 9 to 5 because it's definitely not. But at the end of the day, your soldiers go home and you go home. And then you see them the next day. Whereas when you're deployed, um, it's a 24-7 thing. Right. So you can help them with uh, maybe picking up some college classes or just wh whatever they want to do with their life. Everybody has dreams. So right. um, when you're deployed, especially to a place like Bosnia, which was peacekeeping, it was a good opportunity to uh, help people and, you know, get people up to the next level because uh, you can really focus on your goals in those situations because um, you really are only working eight hours a day, 10 hours a day. Now, Kuwait and Iraq, that was a different situation. But... Um, so, yeah, so came back, came back from Bosnia. That was right before 9-11. Um, you know, I was supposed to end up having, like, an easy year when I got back from Bosnia. <laughs> that didn't happen. Right. That was canceled. Um, so did you get deployed, like, right away again? No, but the kind of, like, I don't know if you call them rumors or what, because they kind of always end up being true. Yeah. You know? Um, we had heard that 3rd Infantry was high on the list for Kuwait and then to go into Iraq. Yeah. So the op tempo just got real Crazy. busy. Yeah. I mean, we, we went to California. We went to Louisiana. Tons of training on Fort Stewart. Um, it was very busy. Um, but then again, I honestly, I was still trying to buy houses when I could. Um, and, uh, you know... The books that I've read, it, it always talked about multifamily and it talked about Fannie and Freddie loans. You know, you're one to four, um, which those loans are amazing. Yeah. And any new investor, I would definitely recommend start out. If you're a veteran, start out with the VA. And if you're not a veteran, start out with Fannie Mae loans. Um, you know, so basically what i did by the time i got back i was able to um do a cash out refi of my place on 37th street okay and then i i kind of took the va loan away at that point okay that way i could use it on a different property just like cashed out to a conventional and then cashed out to a conventional and then i bought another property um on east 
37th Street. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a 6,000 square foot multifamily, uh, decent sized building. On 37th? On East 37th. You still have that? Still have it. Oh my like I said, in gosh. 20 years, I've, we've, we have sold one building in 20 years. I forgot. Yeah, you we told don't me that sell. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. That's a great spot to be. East 37th has done very well. Yeah, I'm getting off topic, um, but yeah, dang, that's that has done very well. Yeah. You figure I bought that one in like 2002. So then the next one is kind of like where my brother comes in, Adam. Yeah. You know, he's like my main partner. Uh, my current company is my brother, Adam, my brother, Dan, and me. Yeah. Um, third, a third, a third. Um, but you kind of, you got to ha- have this foundation so you can get to the main company. So the first company was, you know, Fannie and Freddie loans. Yeah. Um, when you're at the academies, uh, I think it's USAA. They offer these loans. Um, they're called, we call them cow loans because your junior year, you're called a cow. Okay. Why? And, the, and the history is, you know, the saying cows come home. Yeah. Till the cows come home. Well, back in the day at West Point, you didn't even go home until you were a junior. <laughs> what? So they called them cows. You just spent three straight years? Yeah. Three straight years before you'd even go home. What is it now? Just like Now one? you're going home for Christmas freshman year. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you get this cow loan or a junior loan. Yeah. Um, very low interest. I want to say for my brother, it was like 25 grand. And, uh, at that point I probably like saved 25 grand, which back in the day, like that's a lot. It's literally when you go to Bosnia, you eat the free food at the mess hall and you save every dime that, that you make for a year. That's (laughs) what that is. Yeah. You know, um, so we ended up buying a 12-unit building on 31st and Abercorn that we still own today. Um, and uh, that deal really was done on a handshake. The first few deals I did with my brother, they were all handshake deals because the building was in my name. Yeah. Um, the loan was in my name. He just said, boop, there's 25 grand for the down payment. And, you know, we've since refied it over the years. Right. But uh, that's kind of how he got involved with the business which was he military also he was at the naval academy okay yeah yeah um so yeah so uh that's literally i don't know why we look it back it's crazy that we did that but that was literally like a month before i went to kuwait so that would have been september of oh three oh oh two and who like we bought that 12 unit building and that was that was a, a rooming house. Okay. When we bought it, which I didn't really know rooming houses. Yeah. Um, they're very hard to manage. I met the owner. I remember the guys. This I'll never forget. This. It's a hundred hours a week. You knock on the door at six o'clock on Friday for the rent, and if they don't pay the rent, you take the air conditioning unit out of the window. <laughs> Now figure, like, I'm literally like 23, 24. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what I did for a couple months before I got deployed to Kuwait. Um, so. Uh, and who was, so then who was managing it? It was my brother from the Naval Academy with and some help, with some local help. But where is the Naval Academy? 
in Annapolis, Maryland. Oh my god! Oh man, yeah. When I when I was deployed, <laughs> like there was occasions where he was jumping in his car. You know, like he was rent, gonna have rent to is like go. due. He's gotta, yeah, yeah. Boarding houses are very hard to manage. Um, you know, but it's a good way to cut your teeth, and you learn like the people part, and you learn like, uh. You fix up a unit, you get a better tenant. You know, right, those yeah. are like, they're probably normal things, but you got to learn them. Yeah, like you gotta, fundamentals you learn. Yeah, yeah you know, first. the value of paint on a wall, the value of a new toilet. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, if you get a nice toilet, you could probably get a better tenant. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, stuff like that. Um, so uh, that was really my brother. I, I know my mom helped out. Uh his girlfriend, which is now his wife. Um, and with that 12 unit, uh, boarding house, there was always empty units. Uh, so literally he would come down and basically the key for the empty one, throw the air mattress down, you know? Um, so yeah, that would have been Oh two. Um, I was in Kuwait doing my thing. Uh, at that point, we kind of knew we were going to war. Right. Uh, third infantry. I was with the engineers at the time. Um, that basically, when the Marines show up, then you know you're going. Like, you know. It's, like, you're pretty sure you're going. On. But then the Marines come, and you're like, <laughs> a week later, you're going. Because uh, we sat there for about nine months. Just nothing. Yeah. Because we didn't. When did we declare? Uh, December 2002? Um, we went in in April of 03. Well, okay. basically, end of March, okay, of '03. So basically, wow, I sat long... there for about six months. That's a pretty good delay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, and that, so again, like things that happen to you that like change your life. So while I'm over in Kuwait, uh, one of the guys in my tent, like he was already accepted to business school, like. <laughs> He was going like Dartmouth. He was just. <laughs> was he like, why the? Why am he's I here? Like, why am I here? Yeah. I'm already going to business school. <laughs> and I made friends with him. And basically, he just piqued all these, again, curiosities. Like, he just really sparked them in me. And uh, I kind of knew about business school. I knew a lot of guys, a lot of officers will go to business school when they get out of the Army. Um, but, uh, he he had this book it was uh the gmat uh, official guide to gmat review i don't know if you ever heard of it basically it's three thousand questions and i remember he said do every one of these you know so basically at night i'm sitting in kuwait doing gmat questions um so when i got back from kuwait i took the gmat and i i did okay uh and uh applied to business school um Applied to a bunch of schools. I got into Columbia. So Columbia. Yeah. Got into Columbia. What? Yeah. Yeah. Dang, congrats. That's crazy. Yeah. So I knew I was getting out. Um basically I was done. I was getting out of the army at the end of May of oh four. And then business school would start in August. You know, so I had a couple months there. Um so yeah. Uh so in the meantime, real estate wise, I would say did a couple more Fannie Freddie type loans. Um, that would have been like the early two thousands. You're you're younger than me, so yeah. And 
it sounds like you've never been through a cycle. No, I was born in 95. So, okay. I mean, kind of. So, we'll get into the cycle. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know. But, uh, so, yeah. Um, did a bunch of Fannie Mae's. My, my brother and his wife, both, uh, they bought a couple properties up in Virginia Beach. Okay. These are all handshake deals. You know, do Just, you have siblings? Do you have, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got brothers. Really, really good friends. Like, handshake deals. You know, like... We're going to grow this company. You're going to use your Fannie Mae loan. I'm going to use mine. You're going to use your VA loan. I'm going to use mine. And then eventually we're going to pack it all together and we're going to create a company and we'll go get like a commercial loan. Yeah. You see where I'm going with it? Yeah. Like it's like really. It's a good way to start a real estate company. Yeah. I would recommend. Look, if you don't have somebody you could trust that much, do it on your own. Go buy five properties, get five Fannie Mae loans, grow that way, and then you could eventually get into the commercial loans. But I would always recommend you start with Fannie, Freddie, and VA. Okay. So anyway, that's kind of what we did until I went to business school. Um, that would have been 04. The market was heated. Uh, you know, I, I remember... Because remember, I had my VA eligibility again because I refied the other one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got rid so of it. right before it, it kind of dawned on me to get the VA loan, you needed the W-2 income of the Army. Yep. So right before I got out of the Army, I went out and found a triplex. That, that was over on East Henry. Still own it. But uh, that was during the days when basically the rent doesn't pay the mortgage. Right. That was going on. Oh, because of because it like the market was so it hot. was so heated. Yeah. Um. So, and I mean, I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm not dumb either. I have to think through this. It's like I can either buy this now or I'm gonna have to wait a few years because I'm not gonna have any W two income. Right. So I bought that property on Henry Street. Um, it's doing great now because we've inflated out of it. Right. But uh, probably overpaid for that one. Really? That would have been 04. Which in 04, that corridor was still pretty... I mean, it was like 225 for a three-family in 04. But 100% loan. Yeah. The rate was like 4%. And, you know... It's hard to turn down. Now, now we're doing, you know... Um, I think the key with real estate is really you do have to have in your head that you're going to hold the property for 10 years. Because, you know, the dips do come. Right. Um. So anyway, I went to business school. I, I knew I knew by then real estate was my thing. So uh, I had an internship at a bank, and then I also had an internship at a private equity company, real estate private equity. Okay. Um, although I think the real estate private equity job was kind of like more suited for what I like to do, um, to be straight up, the pay at the banks was way, way better. <laughs> So I ended up going to Bankway, you know. Yeah. And at that point, the economy was still very heated. This okay. would have been 06. Okay, so right before. Um, so I, I ended up going to Citibank. Okay, uh, I mean, that's uh, great. Are you familiar with CMBS, Commercial Mortgage-Backed Securities? Um, so I've heard of CMBS, but I don't, I'm not that familiar. Gotcha. Well, the whole thing blew up. Okay, um, so, that's, so they're not even yeah, around anymore then. They are around. They, they do it a lot smarter now, um, hopefully. But when I when I was doing it, it was crazy um, because it was so com competitive and there was so much money in the system. 
a lot of those loans did blow up. Um, but it was a great way to cut your teeth on lending and just learning lending and learning about real estate companies. Yeah. So the general idea was when I was doing CMBS, I was an underwriter. Okay. Um, you kind of, my boss was the originator. I was the underwriter. He kind of wanted to lock up one loan a week and close one loan a week. That was kind of like the pipeline he wanted, which was great because as an underwriter, one thing you had to do was you had to go look at the property. So every week, and that would, that would be on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, I'm jumping on a plane. I'm going to North Carolina, look at a strip center, hopefully getting a hotel night in and going the next day back to my desk. But uh, it was a great way to just see how these bigger companies, and a lot of real estate companies are family-owned. I mean, you know this. Yeah. Uh, doctors, lawyers, um, a lot of them are family-owned. I mean, now you have REITs, um, which I started getting into REITs kind of further on down. Um, the world blew up. That would have been September 08. In my opinion, that's when Lehman Brothers went down. Yeah. Um, and I got laid off about 60 days before Lehman went down <laughs> from my Citibank job. Did you know that something big was about to go down the pipeline when that happened? It was one of those things where Citibank had rounds of layoffs. Yeah. You just kind of. It was just. Pu- you're wondering, in. like, when is my turn? Okay, I got you. Okay. And there's a couple things that I remember. Um, there's two f- funny things. Uh, one. Like, cause you always work late, you know, bankers, I don't, I don't understand why I was working that darn late. I think that's why I really wanted to get away from banking. Yeah. But I remember sitting there late at night, uh, you know, doing my underwriting. Yeah. And this guy rolls a ship. He's like a maintenance guy. Yeah. It's a, it's like a replica of a ship and it, it kind of dawns on me. That's for the shipping group. And he's like, you know. So basically, my whole floor was about to get whacked. Oh, and they were like, going to move okay, the shipping know. group onto my floor. What? Right? Damn. Yeah. Okay. So I actually survived that round. So <laughs> What'd they do with you? Where'd they put you? They crunched us in, uh. and half my floor was the shipping group. <laughs> so that was one thing. I'll just never forget it. And then um, the, the reason I knew I was getting laid off, and this is crazy. Again, I'm at work late. And uh, basically the mailman, because Citibank, it's such a big building. They have like mail, mail people. Yeah. Um, I'm working late and the guy, basically there's these boxes. Um, we call them Iron Mountain boxes. Are you familiar with Iron Mountain? No. <clears throat> Just basically a storage box. Okay. Um, so he has a list of the cubes of where he needs to drop these boxes. The mailman. Right. And I'm working late, and basically, uh, he ends up dropping two boxes right next to my cube. Oh, you're talking about like where they fill them with Storage all your boxes. stuff so you can dip. Yeah, yeah so okay. I can come in the next morning and fill it up. And you're but gone. I'm working late that night. You just happen to catch and it. And I just knew tomorrow's my day. Tomorrow's my day. I'm going to come in, and they're going to lay me off. And I, as soon as I came in, um, they called me. They said, bring your Blackberry. I went up, talked to this lady, and I was literally, <laughs> I was out of there like 20 minutes later. They and like, I didn't have a job, and they said, we'll let you know about severance. And that was 08, man. It was 
Cutthroat. And my wife got laid off. She was at Merrill Lynch. She got laid off like two weeks before me. Yeah. So once you guys both, I mean, did you guys know each other at the time? We met in grad school. We okay. met in business school. So did um, you, I mean, you guys must have put two and two together. If she's getting laid off and you're getting laid off at the same time, was it like? Everybody was getting laid off. If you didn't get laid off, it was like, <laughs> like, really, what did you do to not get laid off? Like, <laughs> did they end up getting rid of that whole half of your floor? There was, figure if my group was 100 people, I, I think there might have been like eight that didn't get laid off. Holy cow. Like, I wasn't the first round. I wasn't the last round. I was kind of like in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... And the way it was explained to me is really the upper echelons of the bank give you dollar cuts. So the group head had to cut so much of dollars of headcount. Okay. He might say a million dollars a headcount. So like the early rounds, it was kind of like the high up people that got yeah. hit because they could cut two people and hit the quota. Right. But kind of once you went further on, it was like, they were getting everybody. Right. So... But anyway, so uh, basically my next job, uh, I ended up going to work for a West Pointer um, who was in real estate. Okay. And uh, amazing guy. He's, he probably taught me more about real estate than grad school or definitely my CMBS job. Okay. And uh, he had hired me basically over the phone. Where was that at? That was at a German bank called Norddeutsche Landesbank. Okay. Now, the German banks, Landes means state. Basically, 50% of the bank is owned by the government. Oh, okay. That's just kind of the system over there. Yeah. Um, Was this in New York still? It's still in New York. Okay. um, But they were out of Hanover, Germany, which actually turned out great because every now and then I was getting to fly over to Germany. What? That's pretty cool. Um, But so my first job was like CMBS, strip malls, uh, multifamily assets, High leverage families, um, CMBS loans are ten year money. They securitize them, package them up, and sell them. That was my first job, coming out of business school. Okay. It honestly, it was kind of fun. Um, the loans weren't that good. You're talking, and, and about I had like, days where I'm like, these loans are not that good. You're talking about like, like in the big short. Like yep. those securities exactly. that they were packaging yeah. together yes, with all exactly. those mortgages. Big short, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking now, about. Now, big there, short yeah. was dealing more with your residential, um, residential yeah. securities. But you were doing corporate. I was doing commercial. Or commercial, yeah. Yeah, strip okay. malls, multifamily, some office buildings. There was a guy in D.C. that owned a building. It was an office building. Now, I don't remember the exact numbers of what he bought it for. But we gave him a $20 million check at the closing table. We cashed him out. And I should have went back to see if the loan made it, but I, I'm highly suspect. <laughs> I, I think he probably took the money and ran. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. You yeah. know, I'm sure that happened a lot, right? Many, many, many of those loans. Yeah. Um, Why? Just everybody thought the music would never stop. The real answer, and I think they went into this in the big short, the loans were saleable. I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but if you're creating a product and somebody else is buying it. What's the problem? You know? Yeah. Like. I mean, did you feel like. uh, These loans sold. I mean. Did you feel like there was a bubble? Did you feel. Definitely. Okay. Definitely felt like there was a bubble. Um, I was. 
somewhat smart, but there was some really smart people that I worked with that they were, were like, ringing the bell. Like, like how early? I remember literally verbal fights on my floor about loans. Like, do not close this loan. This, And these are young guys because I was probably at the time 29, 30. Like, these are guys that were younger than me. Like, do not make this loan. This is a bad loan. Some people just have it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, like Marco Burry, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it's the one asset this guy owns. It's a $40 million office building. He's going to own it forever. I guess I saw it a little bit, but not, not so much as some other people. I mean, you apply your own Um, life experiences too, right? So like if your philosophy is I always hold real estate, I'm sure that makes you feel like everybody else is going to do the same thing that's playing yeah. with big money. Right. right. But if somebody just gives you $20 million and you have a non-recourse loan that you can walk away from, a lot of people walked. A yeah. lot. Yeah. So going back to the West Point thing, I got laid off. There was a West Pointer that ran a group uh, this, for this German bank. I called him up, hat in hand, basically. I, I need a job, like, you know. And um, he said, my number two guy, come in, talk to my number two guy. If he likes you, then you'll have the job, you know. Um, So I came in. I got the job. Honest to God, I don't think the number two guy ever liked me. (laughs) I could tell you many stories about that. But, you know, um, the Germans are, their culture is very interesting. Um, Sprechen Sie Deutsch? No, no. Expert kind bitte. I, I, you can kind of feel it in your body when they're talking about you, though. Like, (laughs) um, they're extremely organized, very smart. They're all smart. Like, um, I, I sat next to this young lady, just um, very organized, very efficient. Um, yeah, I was an underwriter again, and as an underwriter, you're in charge of a lot of paper. Right. And that paper at a German bank needs to find its way into a folder. And I'll, I'll never forget, like for me, I would have this drawer and as the paper came in, I would throw it in a drawer and then like once a quarter, I would grab the whole stack and file it. Now the lady I was sitting next to, a piece of paper came in. She had three, three hole punch right next to her desk. She would punch it and go straight to the fold filer. You know, I'm just yeah, giving yeah, an yeah, example yeah, yeah. of kind of like what you're dealing with here. And she was German. She was German. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're very... Most of the employees there were German. They're, they were just They're calculated and organized very, as a culture. Right? Yeah, very yeah. friendly, very nice. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so anyway, I was there for close to five years. Okay, that's um, a while. And that was during the workout days. So the, everything was kind of blowing up. You figure that was like 08 to 13. Yeah. Um, and when I first went, I mean, pay-wise, the pay was good because at that point, nobody was making money. Everybody was getting laid off. Right. Um, and I learned a ton. That's when I learned about REITs and kind of the way REITs are organized and the way the company looks. And my, my company's nowhere close to a REIT. <laughs> But I, I do try to make it kind of look like yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like there's certain things like REITs generally 
their leverage is never over 50, you know, generally 25 to a 25% to about a third of their assets are unencumbered. What does that mean? No loan. Okay. No loan. Okay. Um, total ever. Like they'll never like refi into it or nothing. Well, it's kind of like, in a way it's kind of like their liquidity. So right. if, if they need, like if they ever get in a, in a trouble spot, like they got that third to fall back on. Yeah. Okay. You got all these properties where you can call the banker and say, you know, that I need sense. a loan on these properties. So we, we try doing that. You know, we try to keep our leverage down. Now we try to have unencumbered assets. Um, the loans that I was doing, and I wish they existed here in Savannah, um, but because these REITs were so low leverage, um, we would do five and seven year IO loans, which IO interest only. Okay. Um, at very low rates. And they, you know, so I went from this like really risky, risky world doing CMBS to like working with these Germans doing, in my opinion, like almost zero risk. Right. You're lending 50 cents on a dollar. Now, granted, it's interest only, and there's a reason for that. Um, but uh, it was just a total different way of, of lending, um, so it was great. Uh, and then I did some workouts as well. Um, so a lot of large loans that were just kind of – it was everything from large loans that you knew were going to go belly up, so you were looking to take title. Um, to large loans that just kind of needed some massaging. They needed some more time uh, to mature, more, more agreements with the borrowers. Yeah. Um, the Germans, most of your international banks, they are big ticket lenders. Like the smallest loan we did at the German bank was hundred million, a hundred million, hundred million. Yeah. Like big malls, um, huge apartment towers. What's the biggest one you did? The biggest one. The biggest one was actually at my next bank, but uh, you would see up to a billion. Was that weird? Like, because I mean, they're generally going to be your safer loans, though. But I mean, like, so a billion dollar loan is either going to be a skyscraper in New York, yeah, or a pool of twenty malls. You know, um, but I mean, does it feel weird moving that much money? Like, I'm sure it's you get used to it, but I mean, at first it's got to be like... One thing that is weird, I will say, which I never I never knew this until I got there. You know, the biggest wire you could send is like 99999000 You can't send a $100 million wire. Oh, you can't? So you have to send multiple. You just send like a bunch of wires? <laughs> Why can't you send a $100 million wire? Maybe the Too Fed, many digits? Maybe the Fed just doesn't allow... I don't know. That's crazy. I don't think it was a bank policy, but yeah. <laughs> that's weird. That's kind of funny. That's a, something yeah, I never like, heard you of. You got to break up the wire, you know? <laughs> like, um, but uh, so that that was a great experience. And working for a West Pointer, there, again, there was a trust thing there. Right. So he gave me a good amount of responsibility. Um, I always like traveling. Who, who doesn't? Yeah. I, I like traveling. I like looking at the real estate. I like meeting the owners of the real estate. I like going out to nice dinners, you know. Um, I like going back to mother company uh, two, three times a year. That was great. Yeah. Uh, going to Hanover. Uh, flew my wife to Berlin one time, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was a good job. It's just. Living with the upper echelon. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was kind of me professionally. Um, and then. So in 09, uh, 
backing up just a little bit, yeah. but in 09 is when um, the foreclosure world was just going crazy. So I don't know when you started in real estate, but 09 in Savannah, you were buying houses for, it's just crazy, man. I, I would say between 25 and 50,000. On average, like crossed. Uh, east side where oh I've been buying. Gosh. And uh, these are almost turnkey. Like almost. almost turnkey. Like some were turnkey. For 25 to 50. 25 to 50. Find a tenant, throw them in kind of thing. Fannie wow. Freddie foreclosures. Um, so, uh, yeah. So on the personal business side, um, that's when I got my other brother involved. Yeah. Um, Dan, the youngest brother. Okay. So we created this, this LLC, um, Miller Real Estate Holding Company, which I guess was a joke at the time, um, but we kept the LLC because, you know, it's Lehman Brothers Holding Company. Okay. That was the name of I didn't Lehman know that. Brothers. Okay. Yeah. So that's why. Yeah. So okay. we called it uh, <laughs> Miller Real Estate Holding Company. Um, so really, you just start like any business. Like, you start slow. So we kind of had that initial business that Adam and I built. Yeah. Um, basically stopped with that. And then we brought Dan in. Our, our view is because we have a three-way business um, the business that Adam and I built initially is just kind of be going to be what it is. We're not going to grow that one. Yeah. You know, you got to, cause it wouldn't be really fair to Dan. Right. How do you say what assets go to one company and what assets go to the other? So the main business is going to be Miller real estate holding company. You know, it's cool that you used a uh, high tide to raise all ships, right? Like yeah. you just took the whole family and you guys are like, well, I don't know how you are with your family. For yeah, me, yeah. family is like, I'd be, I don't know what I'd be without my family. Yeah, I agree. I just, yeah. you know. But a lot of people, um, they don't, you know, I don't know about a lot of people, but I think that, I mean, how many other real estate holding companies do you know that it's three brothers and one started and then allowed the second one in and then they allowed the third? You know what I'm trying to say? Well, and there's, I have a youngest brother too. Oh, okay. Fourth. A fourth. <laughs> He's 16 years younger than me. I'd love to somehow get him involved, but yeah. you know, it is hard because we're kind of, we're not big, big, but big enough for right? him to come in, he would have to write a, a big check. Right. Um, so we'll have to figure that out as time goes on. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, we really, um, we started buying these Fannie Mae foreclosure, Fannie Mae, FHA, Freddie Mac, all of them, which kind of, kind of started '09, and went on until when? 14, 15? Yeah, it's not been that long. Really. Oh, yeah. You know, um, basically we would go on the site, uh, and we had a real estate agent, um, same guy that we use today, David Masaros. Okay. Uh, because I was up in New York, so you need that trusted partner down in Savannah. Yeah. Um, and how did you know that? How did you know him? We bought a building. Um, Just basically, I think we called on a sign, bought one building. He was the agent, and we liked him, and he's been fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Um, literally, I mean, there was times where he would see something pop up. He'd go look at it, email me a contract, and say, you need to sign this and get it back to me in 10 minutes. What? Like, you know, there was some bidding wars out there. Yeah. For a $25,000 house, it's yeah. not like we're, you know, the only guys. Yeah. But the funny thing is, you know how, like, doctors and lawyers like real estate? Yeah. Um, 
because a lot of my customers were doctors and lawyers, but down here, like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything on doctors and lawyers, but they don't really play in the same space as we do down here. Yeah. Um, maybe down here they're trying to get like the nice strip malls and the nice, but the returns are way higher on cheap single families. Yeah. You know, um, so there really wasn't a ton of competition because we had decent liquidity. Um, well, Savannah still hadn't come full circle yet, right? Like, it, yeah, the East Savannah side was, was still like Live Oak back then was yeah. rough, rough, yeah, rough. Like, uh, City of Savannah wanted to put antennas on top of our houses, you know, to triangulate the shots. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's crazy. That's another story. Look at it now. That would have been nine, 10. Literally they were putting antennas on our buildings and then a hurricane came through not to fast forward too much, but we called the police department. We said, your antenna fell down and they said, ah, we don't need that anymore. I'm like, think about it. That's basically their way of saying like, it's not nearly as bad as it was. Right. We don't need the, shot triangular anymore over in live oak you know that's crazy yeah so what'd you guys do just like scrap it or like i think it just got scrapped that's crazy yeah um but so that's that's roughly when we found workman circle as well okay um kind of in the heat of buying on the back side of that yeah okay i think we found them i'm gonna guess through my real estate agent david masaros okay and uh you know we got to know chris it, it was scary times. Like I'll never forget the first loan we did with Chris was 40%. He, you know, he told me that, um, um he was on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And he didn't bring up anybody specific, but he right. said that their business grew substantially during that time because, yeah, because by putting down 40, 30, 40, 50%, yeah. they were able to, you know, those loans are much safer. Yeah. So they're able to do them when other banks couldn't do anything because right. they were yeah. locked up from making all these bad loans for all that time. Exactly. Yeah. So we kind of started out at that and then we've grown the relationship. Like there's a lot of trust there yeah. between us and Workman Circle. And um, I could say without a doubt, we wouldn't be where we are today without Workman Circle, you know? So uh, we were buying these Fannie Freddie foreclosures. <laughs> I'm going to say between one and three a month. I mean, we were just plucking them Dang. off. We were plucking them off. Um, and how did you have like the, so if it's 30 or 40% down every time? Well, because the market was appreciating and, you know, uh, there was three of us. Yeah. So think about it. If you're buying a property for 30000 yeah, and you got to put 40% down, that's I mean, 12. Yeah. Divide that by three, that's four. Yeah. You can come up with 4000 to yeah. buy a house, right? Yeah. Like, so that's how we were doing it. But I mean, but you, but three a month, four a month. I mean, it's that. I mean, that's. Well, you know, my my brother worked. My other brother worked for Standard and Poor's. He okay. still does. I mean, you know, I was a banker. I wasn't making a ton of money, but you know, you had we we had some money at the and, time. Okay, I got you. Okay. Uh. You know, so we kind of did that for a while. Um, the other thing that I did want to mention is just. You know how we like started out with multifamily and then, you know, like you read all the books and a lot of books say multi, multi, multi. Yeah. Well, we stumbled into single families and I'm telling you, I will take a single family. I, maybe I'm the odd guy. I will take a single family over a multifamily all day long. Well, I've made it, and 
it's interesting you say that because I we've had this discussion on the podcast before with other previous guests, and it was like, if you look at what these guys are getting on these big multifamilies, maybe not so much like the quads and dues, you know, I mean, fifty units or less, but like a hundred units or more, right? Right. These guys are getting excited when they get six or seven percent. Yeah. Yeah, cap rates. Right. You look at a single family, you are doing terribly if you're getting seven percent. Oh God. Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of times, you know, you can get right. 15, 20, no problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not just that. I mean, there's there's other metrics now over the years that we know for sure. And, and you might think it's crazy. But believe it or not, our experience, the maintenance on a single family per unit is less than a multifamily. I don't know why it is. It's just, you know. I wonder if people I, take more pride when they live in a house than with it. I, I think it's people take more pride. Um, tenants are much longer term. Like a tenant will stay in a single family house for five, six, seven years. Multifamily, more transient, in and out. Um, obviously, no neighbor issues. I mean, multifamily, and I don't really field the calls anymore. But literally, I used to get phone calls. Neighbor's music's too loud. This and that, you know, trash left outside. Like, you know, yeah. with a single family, you know, not, pest control. You realize pest control with a multifamily, technically the landlord's supposed to pay for it. Yeah. And a single family, the tenant pays. So all these little things, um, you know, the operating margins, in my opinion, are actually higher on a single family, which doesn't make sense. And there's not many books that even mention it. But we like single families. Plus, I mean, I don't um, know about, are you getting more appreciation on your singles than you are on your? Like well, if you were to add up your singles up until the unit? last couple of years, you were. Okay. The last couple of years, multifamily has just been crazy, nuts. It's because everybody reads the same books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're doing Fannie Freddie loans, I get it. Buy a four family, or the VA, you know, or a VA. Yeah. Buy a four family. That's three four hundred grand. You're gonna get a great rate. It's thirty year amortization. You know, workman circle loans are gonna be fifteen or twenty. Yeah. And the rates are gonna be you know four and a half five. Yeah. Um. Which well, they're risky. There's a bubble there right now. I, I think, think there is a multi-family. I think there is a bubble. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, we at, we we started aggregating. Um, you know, when I was working at that German bank, we did a ton of pulled loans, um, 20, 20 asset loans, fifty asset loans. So really what we started doing down here was kind of what I saw other companies doing up in New York uh, with single families. So you aggregate 800 to a million dollars worth of, of loans in single families yep. with Workman Circle because their lending cap's a million. Okay. And then you go to, uh, we started with like uh, Ameris Bank. We, we don't deal with them anymore. We do deal with uh, the Heritage Bank. Okay. Um, but you aggregate 800 to a mil. Then you go to a bank and you say, can I do a package loan with you, a pooled loan? Um, so that'll take our exposure down at Workman Circle back to zero so we can do it again. Right. You know, and that's kind of how we run the company now is um, fill the bucket up with Workman Circle and then go to a, a bank like the Heritage Bank um, to take the bucket down to zero. And then and, do uh, you pull cash out on the backside? Um, we, we pull cash out really through unencumbering assets because for some reason you can explain it to a bank as I'm not cashing out. 
if you don't get the money in your pocket, but they will help you to unencumber an asset. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you're trying to say. Like they feel more so comfortable. So if you have 20 with you, houses with Workman's Circle, yeah. but Heritage Bank only needs 15 of them, I can actually walk away with five houses that don't have a loan on them. And they feel better than giving you five houses worth of cash. Exactly. Which is weird. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So um, whatever, it does the same purpose, right, for you guys. I mean, it does. Yeah. It gives us that, you know, if we do need the money, we got some unencumbered houses. I can go back to Workman's Circle if I have to and say I need a loan on a house. Yeah. Um, so really those first few years when the recession came, um, you were actually buying better houses for way cheaper. Um, so at that point we had like, you know, one maintenance guy, which was plenty because um, the houses were in decent shape. Yeah. But the further we got into this cycle, um, you're buying more dilapidated houses, um, you know, stuff that probably needs. I used to have a general rule in my head where I didn't want to spend more than 10000 fixing up a house that we buy. I'd say it's probably more like twenty now. Yeah. I really don't want to go over twenty, um, because, you know, it, it's just it turns into too much. That's tough, though, because... Yeah. I mean, like, all the low-hanging fruit's gone, right? That's, mm -hmm. like, the 10 and less. Which is why this year we've only bought, you know, six houses this year. Okay. It's been a slow year for us. Um, we, we think the market is full. Yeah. And uh, we have our metrics. And, yeah, you know, I'm not going to say downturn because I see a lot of positive forces going on here in Savannah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people moving into town. Hopefully the jobs are coming. Yeah. Um, good jobs. Um the high quality multifamily that's getting built here doesn't scare me at all. Yeah. You know, if these big institutional multifamily companies are going to put up a brand new building and charge 1400 for a one bedroom, I'm not scared. No. Yeah. You know, it may, I, I'm yeah. renting my houses for 1200. Yeah. And my one bedrooms are like 800. Plus so, I, um, I don't know if you knew this at all or heard of this, but yeah. like I used to, at my previous job, I'd have to go to the, um, savannah or the multi-family association meetings okay um and they had this guy there that came and presented from texas and they, their specialty was statistics and figuring like the trends in the multi-family industry and they were doing this part of the country and he said that in savannah over the course of the next two and a half years you'll have four thousand units built but you'll have 4500 people looking for houses at the end of it so you're gonna be short 500 so they're not building enough here right yeah, yeah. wow that's great to hear yeah i i live in pooler Tons of multifamily oh going up gosh, in Pooler. Oh, my gosh. Pooler. Yeah, it's crazy. Man, everywhere you look, there's multifamily going up. Yeah. Um, but, no, it doesn't really scare me. Um, and then with COVID, uh, tons of people moving down. I had a lady move down from Boston. My, my boarding house, my you know efficiency units on yeah. Abercorn and 31st, they're not efficiency units anymore. They're full-year leases. Um, I had a lady move down from Boston. Um, those rents are now like seven fifty a month. Uh, she didn't even have a job. She just gave me a year's worth of rent. Holy cow. She was a waitress up there and she's like, I know I can do it down here. I had to get away. So, and I've got several of those examples. I had another couple move here from Vancouver. Really? Work from home. They were both making like 50 K each working from home. She what? was like, I stopped here like five years ago off of 95. <laughs> I loved it. Like they showed up with a truck full of their furniture. Just ready to. Ready to move in. 
And I'm like, you guys got great jobs. Yeah. And uh, I'll take you. Yeah. So a lot of people moving into town. That's crazy. Um, yeah. That's what makes me, you know, living here, you're almost in like a bubble because of that, right? So like we're New York and, and, and California, you're seeing all this doom and gloom, right? Right. Things are tanking, whatever. Yeah. But you don't feel that here because that's where everybody's, this is where all those people are coming. Everybody's coming here. Yeah. So, you know, macro, I am concerned. Uh, I'm concerned about the country. I'm concerned about the economy in general. There is way too much leverage in the system. Um, you know, but Savannah, I don't know. I, I think there's just so many positive forces as well that we could squeak through. So in the um, event of like a national macro economic downturn, do you think that this market, you were saying like, you think we're going to squeak through? Like, do you, does that mean you don't think that there's going to be a significant downturn at all here or? It, I think it's going to depend on how bad the macro one is. Like if, if we get another one that's as bad as 09, there's nobody squeaking through. It's going to be bad for everybody. Right. Um, the main thing that keeps me up at night, I hate to say it, I just, and you never hear it in the news, it's just really the leverage, the government leverage. Oh, yeah. Um, I just don't know how much the, gov- uh, the Fed can buy. You know, the Fed's balance sheet has gone from $3 trillion to $7 trillion this year. This year. More than doubled. Yeah, more than doubled, yeah. Um, and the stock market highs, if you followed the amount of uh, yeah. assets on the Fed's book, Go as it increased, so did the stock market. Right. I don't know if that's still true, but I saw that correlation until like August. Yeah. Yeah. And almost all loans are correlated to the 10 year treasury. All the loans that I did up in New York were off the 10 year treasury. A lot of your institutional loans are off the 10 year treasury. So, what's the return the, like on a 10 year treasury right now? Right now, it's like 0.9, which is high. Yeah. Like two weeks ago, it was 0.75. Okay. Um, which is know. a good outlook, right? When the 10 year goes up. It's, I don't know. What is, is it, it good or bad? I, I mean, if know. you read the textbook, the textbook says, yeah, that's good. That means that the market is getting stronger and you know, rates are going up to out. try to quell the inflation. Yeah. Um, and, and people are finding other assets. Well, people are moving into bonds, basically. Um, so, anyway. Which, that could be uh, like a double-edged sword, right? Because... My, I would think that if I was an investor and I had a bunch of cash and I was not sure of the economy, I would go to bonds. Right. Which is not going to be good for the economy. If I'm not spending my money out here because it's parked right here. Right. That's not going to help these guys over here, right? But the interest rates are so low. So, yeah, I think generally, yeah, the money is leaving bonds for sure. Okay. You think it's headed. So, you're saying it's headed the other Heading way. to the stock market. Okay. Headed to the stock, which, yeah. is, what, which is driving the... Yeah, because okay. if you can make 2% on a bond or the dividend on a stock is 3%, you're going to yeah. buy the stock probably. Yeah. Although you're taking the risk that the stock might go down. But if so, you look over like a 20-year period, your average returns like what, 7% a year or something in the stock market? I was going to say 8, but okay, yeah, it could eight, be 7. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, we're definitely uh, a little bit tapping the brakes right now. We also have six vacation rentals. Okay. Um, which ironically, I mean, they're down a little this year, but not as, not down nearly as bad as I expected. Uh, middle of March to the end of April, we were shut down completely. So we had 45 days, arguably the biggest 45 days of the year. Right. Cause where we made zero. Yeah. Um, 
but we'll be down probably about 15%. That's not terrible. Not great. Not, not terrible. Yeah. I, I was expecting it to be higher. Yeah. Um, Especially Airbnbs. Yeah. Yeah. My issue with the vacation rentals, and, and I would sell the vacation rentals. Um, I, I don't like the ebb and flow of the business. Uh, single families, you put the tenant in, they're in there for at least a year. Normally yeah. they're in there for five years. Um, vacation rentals, uh, I mean, one month you could be making 40 grand. The next month you could be making 10. It, it's very seasonal even in savannah i mean people say tourism is strong here which it is but uh certain months are kind of quiet december january um like four months right like you have like november december january february this year november will be slow i think yeah um last year it was a little slow but you did have rock and roll marathon oh okay so that Um, that was a big money weekend uh and then thanksgiving um but generally december is slow uh, and January and February, and then August. I, I would say those are the four slow months. Okay. Um, Wait, August? Traditionally, August is a slow month because people don't go to Savannah in August. If they're going to go to the beach, they might go to Maryland. They might go to Maine, you know. That's shocking because it's always so packed downtown all summer. But Generally, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, August is a bit slower. Maybe it's locals. Yeah. yeah. People are not flying to Savannah in August. Yeah, I guess, you know, yeah. what What might be throwing my perspective off is I'm not thinking about the fact that SCAD gets in in August. So it maybe all those that. increased people are yeah. not vacationing here. They're right. SCAD students. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I was going to mention, too, is since you brought up SCAD, um, our exposure to SCAD has gone way, way down. Like, I, I was kind of scared with the COVID. Yeah. Um, because we probably had about a third of our tenants SCAD. Yeah. You know, just looking at the sheet. Um, we got to be down to about 10% SCAD. Okay. And it's, it's only helping my business to be honest with you. (laughs) It's not hurting my business. Um, I've heard that from multiple people too. I have had, and I had, I do have a termination clause in my lease and I have, I just got another one this week to be honest with you. From SCAD? They will write the check and give you the keys. So you get like a big, huge check. Then it's a big check. Yeah. And, um, you know. So initially I was worried about SCAD, but now I'm, I'm, I'm more worried for SCAD yeah. because all these units are full now. Yeah. Where, when SCAD does come back, where are they going? I don't know. It's going to be great. Y- you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like my houses up, are full. Up the rents. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, right. Cause then if, um, if you have slow supply and high demand. Right. Like. Raise rents. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I'll take SCAD. I'll take anybody. Fair Housing Act. Yeah. I mean, if they're approved, they're approved. Um, but I don't think I have to rely on SCAD the way maybe two, three years ago I would have told you it's all about SCAD. Yeah. Um, and we have, like, some contacts in multifamily that have um, some of the bigger complexes downtown, 50, 60, 80 units. Yeah. And we were hearing the same thing from them, which is you would see at the end of the year come up for SCAD. 60% of their tenants would move out. You know yeah, what I mean? That's no and way to run a business. That's tough. It makes, you know, <laughs> um, it makes everything from yeah. May till July crazy. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but now they're, they said that since all that happened, like it was terrible in the beginning, but now they're getting more doctors, lawyers, people from out of state. You know? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. In that East side neighborhood, um, 
nothing on bartenders and waiters and all that, but it's it's move the tenant quality is going up over there. Um definitely going up. Are you talking like as far east as State Streets or you're talking like Live Oak? Um I would say Live Oak. Okay. Um the State Streets not quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's although funny. I do have some great tenants over in the State Streets. Everybody uh, talks about the State Streets like it's established. Everybody loves it, right? You got a State Street property, it's yeah. gone. Yeah. But then you drive through it and you're like, what in the world? Like, it's still rough over there. It's still rough. Um, if you're more toward, like, presidents, yeah. uh, it, it was shocking. I literally have a tenant, and this is going back two years ago, that was wa- walking to River Street from the States during uh, St. Patrick's Day. Like young presence. young professionals. I'm like, man, the world has just changed so much. Yeah, seriously. Hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. They got like two beers. Like, um, that's pretty. That's crazy. when you know your business is going okay. Yeah. Uh, so it is changing. Yeah. Um, you are getting more young professionals over there. Um, Which is that same trajectory. So, like, the way that that neighborhood's been reacting is that exactly what you saw at Live Oak before? Mm. Or has it been different? It's different, and I, I would say it's the quality of the building. Um, Live Oak has some just gorgeous buildings, houses. Yeah. Uh, they're they're going to be nicer. They're going to be higher quality. Yeah. Um, the quality of the stock, in my opinion, over in the States is a lower quality. Okay. Uh, have you been in them? They all have yeah, like yeah, the yeah. same floor plan. They're kind of smaller. Yeah. Um, they seem the, I don't know what the building, the they're building more like material two bedrooms. Is like. Yeah. Not like three twos. They're all like two ones. I, I just, they rot really bad for some reason. Yeah. I, I, I just don't, don't see that, how but. the States is ever going to be like a two fifty three hundred thousand dollars market. Yeah. Be Whereas shocking. Live Oak, I mean, you're seeing trades in the twos over there, you know, which it's weird to me. That's take I I can't imagine a time when Live Oak wouldn't be hot just because Daffin's so close, right? Like if you live yeah. there on forty, forty first, forty second, like yeah, those are great um, spots to be. I mean, it used to be a very tough area. It's crazy. That's it weird. Used to be a very tough area. It's weird how yeah. much it changes. Um, um, and you guys are getting hot on the west side now. We're we've been. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could say hot on the west side. We've always bought over there. Okay. Um, maybe it was a mistake on our part, but we kind of have like this model of how we buy. Yeah. And if it hit that, we would buy, even in Kyler Brownsville, um, which kind of forced us over the years to buy a bunch over there because it was always hitting the model. Right. You know. Um, but it's done very well. I mean, it it stays full. Um, and it has appreciated quite a bit. I think that'll be one of the next neighborhoods to look at. I know a lot of people are talking more like where the arena is going to go over in that area. I'm more into, and when I say Kyler Brownsville, I kind of mean 35th up to like 40th street. Okay. Um, west of MLK. Okay. Uh, so you don't like South of victory that much. Like Camp Park, Jackson Park. It's not that I don't like it. It's just our business model is north yeah. of Victory. Okay, I got you. Um, I think that could change. Uh, if we just if there's not enough to buy north of Victory, we could start looking south of Victory. It's just always. It's just what we say on the phone. We right. buy north yeah. of Victory. Yeah. Um, that's what we do. Um, mainly because 
I, I got two maintenance people now, me, like we kind of want to be within 10 minutes of all of our assets. That's okay, just that the way sense. we like it, yeah. especially with maintenance. You want to pay somebody eight hours a day to be driving around in their truck right, or do you actually yeah. want them at the house? You know? Yeah. Um, so you don't buy the South side. You don't buy George. No, Shower, it's all Richmond North Hill, of Victory. Like, okay. Yeah. But we will go over to the States. Okay. And we have gone over to, uh, over by Bonaventure road over there. Okay. What, yeah. What neighborhood? Um, you're talking like by Savannah state and yeah, but it's North of that. It's kind of like over by Bonaventure and, um, East. Like East of Skidaway, not the not Thunderbolt though. East of Skidaway. Okay. What what neighborhood is that called? I don't remember. Okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Though. North of Victory. I mean that's a hot neighborhood now. Like those rents have gone up significantly. I it's like a sliver between those two streets. You're talking. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they yeah, all yeah. dead end. Yeah. All those streets dead end over there. Yeah, like off um, the right or the off the east side of Skidaway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's really nice back in there. You drive Very back nice. there. It's like, cause weird. You drive down Skidway. Right. And it's like all those businesses are rough. Yeah. But then you get behind those businesses. Right. It's like, and then Bonaventure the is a beautiful road. Yeah. Um. So those are all houses that, you know, five to seven years ago you could buy for forty, fifty grand. Yeah. And now they're probably one fifty two. Yeah, it's a good neighborhood. Yeah. Um. So, so how many do you guys have now then? Like how many have you collected over the years? So we kind of look at it as the way I look at it is we have three companies, right? Yeah. We have Miller real estate, which is the three of us. Yep. Um, we have the other company, which is Adam and I, and then my wife and I have some stuff. Okay. Um, we're pushing up to 140. The, all Savannah. All, well, except for the two. In Remember Virginia I said Beach. the two in Virginia yep. that my brother and his wife bought. Crazy. Yeah. Are you guys, yeah. would you, are you guys, do you ever consider expanding outside of Savannah if this market, so like if you have a macro downturn, right? Yeah. And we're talking Savannah maybe gets through it uh, right. without a significant depreciation. Yeah. Have you, are you, have you considered at all thinking about going outside of Savannah? Potentially. Um, so my brother, Adam, he lives in Italy. Yep. His wife stayed in the Navy. My brother got out. Okay. Um, so she retires probably next summer. Okay. Um, I think real estate, you just got to be as close to the asset as possible. Yeah. So I think there would be a scenario where if my brother moved to a Tennessee, okay, yeah. we would start buying in Tennessee or, you know. Um, just use that move as like a jump off If he was interested for, in that and yeah. he wanted to grow the business where he was living, I would support that. I got yeah, Like a potential um, path. You're just, yeah, nothing set in stone, just a potential path forward. You could see where. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Tennessee comes up because we know people that, believe it or not, have made a ton of money in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. I've heard. In Memphis, <laughs> I've heard some guys that <laughs> Those are Those towns have just. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I know Tennessee is a state that he would be interested in moving to because he likes lakes and mountains. Okay. So, yeah. I, North Carolina, um, too. They've seen crazy. North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. But generally, I would like if my goal would be to stick with North of Victory. Um, my goal would be to um, buy minimum one a month, anywhere between one and three a month, and just grow the company. That's kind of what we want to do. And so um, it's just like doing those same consistent actions. Now you same, have a plan. You know what same. works. It's like. Yeah. So you probably don't. I mean, you guys don't really take. I mean, not to say you don't take chances, but I mean, if it doesn't fit the model, you don't do it. Well, 
not a hundred percent, but generally <laughs> yeah. like we have tried to flip. Um, it's just, I could see if I, I, I could see if we put all of our energy into it, how I guess you could make money. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I still do the math. I'm like, if you hold it for less than a year, um, it's ordinary income. So you're going to get taxed like crazy. Uh, I love my real estate agent, but that's 6%. Yeah. Um, you got the cost of the time that you're doing the flip. Now, a good flipper, I think, is soup to nuts in like two to three months. Um, I find that to be very difficult. I think my flip is more like six months. Yeah. So you got lost rent. Um, and then market timing. Like, if you're not going to the market... And I could be wrong. I'm just giving you my opinion here. If you're not going to the market in May um, for the hot summer, um, you're going to have a hard time. Because my my flip just hit the market. And I think it might end up being a rental. But the way we always did the math on the flip was, will it work as a rental? So So you're like, worst case. Multiple exits right from day one. Yeah. I've always said that... um, you know, the worst, worst case scenario on any of my buys is I can walk away and not lose money. Okay. I know maybe that sounds crazy, but like the one over on Waters, for example, you know, I don't I don't see how I'm going to ever lose money. I'm still trying to figure out how do I make money on that one, um, but I don't think I'll ever lose money on it. You're talking, okay, yeah. The house over on 33rd. 33rd, yeah. Yeah. Which that's, a, um, uh, for people that don't know, the Waters Corridor is yeah got a lot of incentive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the hidden secret. Might have to hand that one off to my son, who's one. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's going to take a while? Um, we have been waiting on that one for at least five years, probably more like eight. So we have a house on basically 37th and Waters. And you know where that strip center is there? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. We're so we had a this. house. So it goes thirty seventh, then a row of houses, yep. and then a strip center. Yeah. So there was a developer in Charleston that was going to buy the strip center, <clears throat> and obviously looked everybody up that was owns those houses because his idea was I'm going to level the houses that way I got the frontage on thirty seventh and I got the frontage on Waters. That was probably seven years ago. Loved the idea. He was trying to get um, Trader Joe's or the, you know, like the the Walmart, but like the local. Yeah, like the supermarket Walmart. But like it's the like one the on, small one. That they have one on, on Abercorn and yeah. uh, Largo. Uh, Across from the park. Yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. Wilshire. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we were ecstatic at the time. We're like, yeah, you could buy this building all day. I mean, the money we're going to make if you get that done has nothing to do with just one building. Yeah. It's our whole business. Yeah. You know, and that was seven years ago. So nothing has happened over there. That's so weird. And I, I hear so many people talking about it and people are going in front of zoning and even that Facebook group that we're on, like you hear people talking about a 12 story building and, um, I keep hearing rumors, but no shovels. Do you have any idea, so you know when you're driving, you turn off 37th on the waters towards 33rd, yep. and all those strips that 
line the road. Yeah. What do you know anything about those? Like you know, because you ha- you know you have like they're like right up against the road almost. All that is a parking lot that separates, or a sidewalk that separates the road from those buildings. You're saying why is there no setback or what? What are you like, saying? Like why are they not developing? Why is none of that coming? Like who owns that? Do you even know? I don't know who owns it. I I think. Here's my thoughts. First of all. A lot of those projects are going to be very expensive. And I, I guess some people in Savannah have a lot of money. I don't know. It just seems like a lot of those big projects is going to be an out-of-towner to yeah. get it done. And when an out-of-towner goes over to Waters, like, They're not they, they just get nervous. Yeah. Um, that That's just my thought. Uh, I think it's going to take local money, a lot of local money, to start getting Waters going. And then once that starts... Then the out-of-town money is going to come in. You know, the local money will build the four-story building, and then out-of-towners will come build the 10-story building. Right. Um, you know, I would love to see Waters end up something like Starland, something of that quality. Uh, but um, nothing. Nothing yet. And even on my, my property on 33rd, I'm kind of, like, a little bit nervous. Do you really want to be the first guy? Like... I wouldn't mind maybe being the second or the third guy. Yeah. Um, it's tough to be the first. Yeah. Yeah. It's it a big risk. First. Yeah. I mean, but that property, it really is not that encumbersome to hold on to, I wouldn't say, right? I mean, like, right. It, well, the purchase price wasn't outrageous. Wasn't outrageous. I, th- I think, really, uh, if we don't do anything with it. You could put a tenant in there tomorrow. I'm just going to put a tenant in there. Yeah. And I might do a month to month lease or, or something where I have some latitude where. If some other idea comes up, yeah, then I can get the tenant out, yeah. Um, and I'll be honest up front. I'll be, I'll tell them like I'm waiting. To I might do this. something else with this house, yeah, and you not might need to move, you know, yeah. So, but uh, I'm disappointed with Waters because it keeps coming up on every conversation, and it's like nothing's going on. I the city used to run like a shot. Remember there was like a city tour on a bus. This is going back like four years ago. Okay. Um, because I got a call. Uh, do you want to come on? It was like the city planning commission was trying to bring people up and down waters to get them excited about it. I, I wasn't available. But I think even the city has stepped back on waters. But they still, like the city still offers those tax credits. Yeah, that is true. So, I mean, they must have some kind of... Hope. But, but there was right. a planning group. There was a guy that was actively um, trying to get people over there. So. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. My brother and I, we've been just round and round on Waters Avenue. And a lot of the prices of the buildings over there is high. Yeah. I mean, because I've called on some of the signs and I'm like, those numbers don't up. make sense. Yeah. You were talking to, where were you talking about? Um, Somebody had done a large development near. Somebody had done a large development, and then they right off of Waters. Uh, it's like a supermarket or something. And they sold the. Anyway, I don't that's know. the one I was just talking about. Okay, that's the one. You, it never happened. But it never happened. But now, they paid some outrageous price for the lot. No, it was oh. all conting, contingent oh, on contingent. this. Contingent, okay, okay, contingent. Okay, 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 yeah, okay. never happened. I thought there was like another instance where that where something. That's the only one I know of, okay. and my understanding is, and I. This is just what I was told. I don't know. I heard the barbershop 
has some term on the lease and because the city owns that strip center that strip mall the city owns it it. was gonna be a police precinct what you didn't know that no i didn't know that yeah that was supposed to be a police station it is insane to me how many properties i look up in the city owns owns that. that The city owns it. That's crazy. And my understanding is there's a barber shop that's got like five years left on the lease. And they're just waiting. Yeah. Crazy. Maybe it's three years now. I don't know. That's crazy. I heard that, uh, did you hear too, that the city just sold that property on Broughton that the uh, water department used to be in? I saw that. Yeah, that's crazy. I heard they got way under market. Really? Yeah. That's what I was... So is That's that going to be a hotel or what? I don't know what they're going to turn into yet. Okay. But they, I think they were originally going to list it for like seven. They ended up taking like four in a silent bid process because, oh, you know, they don't do it right. like regular. Yeah. And the broker all probably like, still ended up getting because they use like Cushman Wakefield or like a big name broker. I think so. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Hmm. So it sounds like um, if we're getting into qualities that it takes to build a business like yours, it seems like discipline and consistency is really what I would say. Definitely. I, I would say you hear people say, do it off and do it well. Yeah. Cause anytime we've tried to veer off, like I, I think we're really good at residential. Um, we're just good at all aspects of it. In my opinion. Um, I mean, we use a, a computer system called Appfolio. Have you heard of it? No, it manages everything. Okay. Um, so that's, that's really changed our business. Do it off and do it well. Um, if we veer off with like, for example, vacation rentals, and I'm not upset that we veered off because were, were you in town when the city was like, you have to permit vacation rentals and everybody ran to go get a vacation rental permit. It was just before me. That's what we did on six of our units. And you got them. We got them at, at the time. We we're like, Maybe we'll do vacation rentals, you know, but we got the permits and we've turned them into vacation rentals and we've done very well with it. Um, you know, but is it a core business of ours? No. Right. Would I sell them? Yes. Yeah. Uh, flips. We tried it. I mean, our thought, cause we keep hearing people say, I'm going to do six flips a year and then I'm going to use the money I make on my flips to buy real estate. So we thought we could grow even faster, maybe, if we did it that way. Um, I, I just think that flips actually slows us down. You know, because I, I only have two workers. Yeah. Um, I, I can't be having my guys working on flips. I can't be, you know. So I think do it off and do it well is very key to our business. Um, I think we got all the systems in place now where we could buy one to three a month and handle it. And you just know. keep. Consistently. Yeah, just keep when you build the bucket up with Workman Circle, you go to the Heritage yep. Bank, get your pooled loan, yep. and then you do it again. Yeah. You know. Um that's that's what we wanna do. Do you um still con I'm guessing I'm the answer's gonna be yes, but you still continue your education in some degree, whether podcast books, whatever. Uh I got a one year old. <laughs> yeah, so that makes it tough. Yeah, that's true. Um yeah. I would say that's fallen off to be straight up with you. Um, I used to read a lot. When I say read, I, I, I would say more magazines, newspapers, uh, stuff like that. Um, not so much books, uh, definitely podcasts. I would say that has fallen off. Um, another great way to educate yourself though is a beer or coffee. And I used to be great at that. 
um, I think that's something that I kind of learned in business school maybe or what, just keep the schedule full. Like, you know, um, I'm going to do two beers a week with two different people. I'm going to have three lunches a week. You're good at that. Yeah. I mean, you called me up for lunch and nice. I said, I got a one-year-old at home. You did, yeah. <laughs> you're like, and it's August, which is the craziest month for yeah. us. So. <laughs> right, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but uh, probably in a business sense, the best way, in my opinion, to educate yourself is to keep the schedule full with locals. Okay. Um, and you did that through all your early career? I did much better at that going back than I do now. I would say there's a lot of people that I should probably be reaching out to right now. Yeah. Um, you blame COVID a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then again, family, family is a number one for me. I think it's a number one for everybody. Um, but I think that's the best way to do it. Was there anything early on in your career that you read or listened to that stands out to you? That, you know, if somebody was just getting into it that you would suggest? Hmm. I think the first book really for probably most people is Rich Dad, Poor yeah, Dad, everybody, right? Yeah, everybody, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I remember my buddy's mom, like I'm pretty <laughs> sure she said, you need to go read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then, you know, but he just laid it out like so simple. Yeah. A lot of the stuff in there, I still like say it. Yeah. You know, um, the four four revenue streams of real estate, right? Like that's why we love real estate. The asset appreciates. Yep. So you can make money that way. Yep. Um, rent. You're collecting rent. Yep. So that's money. Yeah. Uh, you're paying down your loan. Yep. That's money. And you have a, a tax incentive. That's your depreciation. Okay. Yeah. I should have known that. So, I mean, what else has that? And then, like, it pays you every month. Yeah. You know, because I, I try to fiddle with stocks. I've never done good at stocks, but... Most companies are not paying dividends, and if they do, they're low. I mean, to make money on a stock, at the end of the day, you got to sell it. Yeah. But real estate, you don't have to do that. There's three other ways you can make money besides selling it. Yeah. So. Because um, you can't, yeah, because, I mean, obviously, stock doesn't appreciate, right? So you don't get that. Right. And you don't get the, yeah. You don't get the monthly payment. You don't get the monthly payment. I mean, I guess you could margin it. Or if you got a dividend, right? So, I mean, technically, I guess you're getting, like, some kind of kickback. Yeah. I mean, you guess, so, but yeah, I get what you're saying though. Plus the returns on average, I think if you look over the course of, yeah. I mean, 20 years ago, if you bought a house in Savannah, it's obviously done better than a stock would have, right? Like a, absolutely. If you bought like an Especially index fund. Especially if you put some leverage on it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 And you so, get so creative, right? You don't have like a, an SEC that like. Yeah. 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 Real estate's much more open. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's another thing. The larger you get, um, like I used to do all the paperwork and I still, I think you should always do a certain amount of your paperwork. Yeah. So you know your business. Like I, I know some guys that own businesses that they're kind of like so high up in the business that they don't even understand what's going on in the weeds. I, I don't ever want that kind of company. Um, you should always know your numbers. Uh, but we are, you know, we're using accountants now where our paperwork is, you got to keep your paperwork tight. Yeah. Um, you know, especially for like your bankers, um, you might get a federal audit. You might, you know, you're going to get audited. So we've just learned over the past few years that tight paperwork is very important. Was there an um, experience that like, did you have to have a negative um, experience to have that? Not, or was not it just personally, like, hey, guys, but just talking to other people. Okay. And then, of course, like um, 
if you're dealing with a banker, and I, I always thought this too when I was a banker, like if you're asking for something and the guy sends it to you in like three minutes, in my head I'm thinking, that's a really organized company. Yeah. Like if you ask for something and like six weeks later they send it to you, in your mind you're thinking, it took them six weeks to get all their financials together. Right, like how, Yeah. what's going on that I don't know about. Yeah, yeah. so we're at the point now finally where we want to have pretty much – you know, at our thumb. If you ask for a piece of paper, we got it ready for you. I got you. So, um, do you still self-manage everything? So that's kind of how I was able to move down. Um, so the way we run the company is I make a management fee. That's how I live. That's how I eat food. And then the cash flow, um, probably until my brother comes back from Italy, the cash flow will just get reinvested in. That's what helps us grow. Okay, so yeah. that's pretty nice. You yeah. can just put everything right back everything in. Everything right now is going back in. Um, and the general idea, and this is pretty much every company out there, but um, generally we kind of want to double every five to seven years is kind of what we're looking at. So if we have 130 units now, hopefully in five to seven years, we have somewhere in that 250 to 275 you know, that's what makes me like, um, do you feel like that's going to be hard to do here? Which is why the North of Victory thing may have to go. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's why a lot of families and big real estate companies, they do get in, more into the institutional complexes. Yeah. I haven't played in that at all. But to your point, like I've looked at them. It's like five cap. Yeah. Like that's a, not A exciting. lot of them like they say it's a five cap and then you do the numbers and you're like, this is a three and a half cap. Yeah. I mean, uh, what it's economies of scale though. Right. I guess. Right. So like, and those complexes, you can get Fannie Mae debt. Yeah. You can go, you know, you get very good debt. Yeah. Um, cause that's who I, I would go against institutional Fannie Mae debt when I was a CMBS lender. Okay. Cause that's all 10 year money. You can get interest only. Um, very good debt. So you're like really familiar with all that world. Fairly familiar I mean, because okay. I competed with it. It's still um, the same. Now you kind of got to be class A, class B. Yeah. I mean, I know they f- used to frown on class C, uh, multifamily. Um, but I've heard actually, I've heard Fannie Mae is doing it. So, um, if somebody was brand new. Just getting in there for, I mean, let's say somebody in your situation, military, whatever, yeah. brand new, getting into the first re, uh, investment property. What's the piece of advice that you would give them? So a number one, this is no joke, get in the game. How many guys have you talked to? Like I talked to them five years ago. They want to invest in real estate. Talk yeah. to them three years ago. Want to invest in, re- just get in the game. I know it's scary, but Get in the game. Now, if you're a veteran or in the military, I would clearly use the VA loan. I'm hearing VA rates are like two and a half. Yeah. Um, do the simple math, at least do the simple, simple math that whatever the rent is, it's going to pay your mortgage. A, a lot of people don't even understand that. Um, but I would say the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody is get in the game. Um, pick a market that's trending your way. Like, personally, I mean, I lived in New York for 10 years. I'm not buying in New York right now. Right. Um, I think the Southeast is a great place to, to put your money. Um, 
getting a game is a number one. I can't tell you how many people I've talked that have come up to me like for mentorship or whatever. Maybe I'm just not banging them over the head hard enough. I don't know. But um, the first one is going to be the scariest one. It's the biggest thing you've ever bought in your life. Right. You know, you're going out to buy a $150,000 house, $300,000 multifamily building. It's scary. Yeah. I mean, well, plus um, well, that first deal could break your whole career, right? People are made and broke by their first, for their first deal. So it becomes a lot more. That is true. It becomes so a you got to do the due diligence. Um, you need a good mentor for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say bare, bare minimum, make sure the rent's definitely way, way more than covering your mortgage. Um, and you could do it. I would probably do it the way I did, you know, live downstairs of a duplex. That's probably how I would, I'd probably do that again. If I could, um, use the VA loan. And then back when I started, it was, you were maxed out with Fannie Mae on five. I'm here now. You could do up to 10 Fannie Mae's. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're a soul, just you, I would probably Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae. Um, if you're going to cash out, I would never buy a Ferrari. I saw that a lot in 2003, 2004. Cash out, make sure whatever you cash out goes back in. Buy another one, you know. Um, the other thing that somebody told me, which I think helped me, you got you to, gotta, and I'm not saying go crazy on risk, but buy as much as you can as young as you can. If you're in like your young 20s, um, because real estate's going to appreciate. Uh, do we all agree with that? Or yeah. No? Yeah. Like, I definitely think so. If yeah. you buy something when you're 20, when you're 40, it's going to be worth a lot more than it is today. Yeah. I mean, if you look at most first world countries, so like we are yeah. pretty cheap compared to most. Yeah. Look in Canada, just oh, up in God, Canada. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would advise if you're young, I would buy as much as you can, as young as you can, but man, you got to be smart. You can't. Um, you do make money when you buy, not when you sell. So you got to buy at the right number. I mean, we've made some bad buys. Everybody does. But if you're buying two, three a month, you can make some bad buys and you can get away with it. Yeah. But if you have one building, that one building's a hundred percent of your business. If you have three buildings, it's 33% of your business. So, yeah. but I would say get in the game by far. It's my biggest piece of advice. All right. I think that's a good note to end on. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Awesome, man. All right, man. Great time. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thank you again for listening this week. I just want to say that I really appreciate all the support, and um, you guys are you guys have been awesome. Please continue to, to give me feedback and uh, reach out to me. I can be reached on my email, josh at moslerperkinsgroup.com, M-O-S-E-L-E-R-P-E-R-K-I-N-S group.com. Um, shoot me an email or shoot me a message on Facebook. Also, share your favorite episode with me. Uh, tag me in it. If you could post it on your Facebook, find it, and just let me know. I'm, I'm really curious uh, what everybody's favorite is and why. So thank you guys so much, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button and, and comment and like. Thanks so much.